Good morning, church. How are you? You ready for the word? I um, I love so much what Tori said because this week uh, the Lord has has kind of been asking me some questions about our church body. Like I don't know, they're not too deep, I suppose. But He's asked me, "Why are you preaching? Why do you preach? And why why do they listen?" And um, so I've been doing some soul searching. Why do I preach? And why do you sit there? Um, and I, I hope, I guess there was, he took me to several different levels, right? The, probably the lowest level is you're sitting here because someone made you come. Congratulations, I promise to be quick. Um, there are other levels of why you might be listening. And Tori said, one of them is, uh, do you need it? Like, did you approach today and the word as, Lord, what do I need? What do I need from this moment? Sometimes if we approach a sermon from a place of what do I need, we miss what God is wanting to deposit because what he often wants to impart to us is not what we perceive to be a need of ours. So the greatest, the greatest motivation he took me to, by the way, this isn't in my notes, I'm just sharing with you. Um, the greatest motivation was, Lord, what, what do you want to deposit in me today? Because he has a way of like hitting a ball way out in left field and you didn't even expect him to take you there. Are you with me, church? You're a little quiet today. He, he, he has a way of bringing things to your attention and then all of a sudden you put all the pieces together and you're like, okay, that's why I went through that this week. That's why that conversation happened. That's why I read that verse. And all of these seemingly, you know, small details of your world come crashing together in perfect harmony in, in a moment where we have a spiritual transaction that's taking place today. And that can happen through worship. That can happen through your giving, not just what's being said, which Tori did so brilliantly and and Carrie did today, but even in moments of walking up to the barrel to give an offering, the Spirit of God can speak to you. Like there can be breakthrough moments at any moment. And that's, that's the power of the gathering. That's why we come together, right? It's not about a church building. It's about the gathering of the saints. It, it's... And, and I don't want to undermine what we do in private. Some of my most powerful encounters with God have just been God and I. But I can't replicate and I can't petition for the anointing of God that happens in a corporate setting. So I want to continue our series on FOMO, fear of missing out. And we know that Proverbs 9.10 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I said last week that a certain type of fear, holy fear, produces fruit in our life. Last week I talked about FOMO on the truth, fear of missing out on the truth. This week I'm gonna talk about FOMO on heaven, fear of missing out on heaven, fear of missing out in heaven. You will never miss out in heaven, but you might miss out on heaven right? Fear of missing out on heaven. How many want to go to heaven?
Well, I'm not going to be talking about heaven. So if you're not yet convinced that that's a place you want to be, that's a whole other sermon. Um, but what I am going to focus on today is how to get there. I want to go to heaven. I want you to go to heaven. Uh, my wife believes all dogs go to heaven. That's what they say. I don't know. But I want to talk to you about how to get there. How to to get there. So there are two topics that we're going to be talking about. And this sermon, just so you know where we're headed, this sermon is going to be split into two Sundays. So I'm going to give you a really good sermon today. And then next week, I'm going to give you the second part to this sermon. All right. So, you know, buckle up for the long haul. We're going to be on this for two Sundays. We're going to talk about salvation and the rapture. Salvation and the rapture. Father, in Jesus' name, God, I just thank you that there is no spirit of distraction in this room. God, I thank you that there is no division among us. God, I thank you, Father, that you have come so that we may hear your voice. God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear the Spirit of God is doing, not only in the room, but God, the people that are joining us online, you have something so incredible for them too. God, I thank you that you're not limited by location. And Father, for those who are unable to join us in person today, God, I thank you that you're doing a work right where they are. God, be with us today. In Jesus' name, I pray. Let the church say, amen. Amen. Thank you, Chad. I want to take you, and I'm going to move quick, so I hope that you have a pen and paper and you can take notes because I'm going to move very quick. Some of the scriptures are not going to be on the screen. Some of them will because I'm just flooding you with so much information today, uh, and I got to move quick for the kids' sake in the room. Uh, but take notes as quick as you can, and then you can also re-watch online if you need to. I want to take you to 2 Corinthians 11 where the Apostle Paul is talking about um, the simplicity of Christ. Just so you know, my goal is to help you understand what salvation is, what it really, really is. And I hope, you know, I'm a pastor and I think I have a history. You, you know me, right? I hope that you trust me. But this is not something that you should trust your pastor on. This is something that you should confirm in the word yourself. Eternity is too big of a deal to trust any other person. I don't care how good looking and how good of a preacher the person is. Don't trust anyone with your eternity. I'm going to give you the tools today to figure this out for yourself. And I will tell you, there's a, a lot of misinformation out there about what salvation is. And we're going to talk about that. The greatest threat, Paul says, to the New Testament church back when it first started. Now you would think that with all of these people walking with Jesus, you know, eating fish with Jesus, multiplying Chick-fil-A with Jesus, you would think that the New Testament church would be secure, settled, resolved. They would know exactly what's going on. Wouldn't you think? I mean, I would think, sometimes I think, man, it's tough in the year 2020 to walk by faith and not have any hand-on-hand -hand experience with the Messiah if 
only I had had that type of experience, I, oh, I would definitely know 100% what to believe, how to believe it, and how to walk. Anyone ever thought that before? We know the first century church, the biggest threat to the New Testament was doctrine. It, it wasn't being killed, being martyred. It wasn't being made fun of. It was doctrine. I'm sorry, y'all. I got a new mic. And can I just address the big elephant in the room? I'm having trouble with it on my ear. And so if I, I'm, gonna, I'm now not going to touch it. Okay, I'm telling you that I'm not going to touch it, so there's some accountability here. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3 through 4. Paul says, But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity. Everybody say simplicity. Simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit in which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. In other words, he's saying, I, hey, I'm concerned. I'm concerned that there is another gospel going on and being spoken about that you may put up with. And I know this is new. I, pro- I made a promise. I got to break it. He says, there will be another gospel preached and, and I'm afraid you may well put up with it. This was the first century church. Are you, are you hearing the, the importance? Like doctrine matters. Yes, I want the gospel to tell me how to be a good husband. Yes, I want the gospel to tell me how to be a good dad. Yes, I want it to tell me how to do finances. Yes, I want it to tell me how to love people. But if I got the doctrine wrong, None of that matters. What does it matter that I have a good life here yet spend eternity in darkness? Doctrine matters. Paul said it in the beginning and it's still true today. Doctrine matters. What, so my question is, the question you should be asking yourself, if you don't know the answer to this, I'm going to help you. But the question is, what is the gospel? Don't answer out loud. Kind of a trick question. Because I presume at least half of the church doesn't know even what the gospel is. Gospel, I'm sorry, can I trade mics or, or tape? Either tape on my neck or a new mic. Check. I'll preach better for you if I do this. I'm sorry for the interruption. What is the gospel? See, we would think that's a simple question, right? Heaven's not the gospel. Your healing of cancer is not the gospel. Tithing is not the gospel. Attending church is not the gospel. Some of you are like, well, well, heck, pastor, just tell me already. What is the gospel? Because I, I thought the gospel was all of it. But, but if, if Jesus said to you, go and spread the gospel, and we don't even know what the gospel is, what are we spreading? You see, Holy Spirit gave the gospel to the apostle Paul. It's in the Bible. It says, this is the gospel. And I want to read it 
to you in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Nope. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, if you have your Bibles, underline this. I declare to you the gospel. So here Paul is saying, I'm going to make this clear. There's been a, a lot of misinformation, but we're going to get this right. He says, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. Underline that word saved. I'm going to talk about what that word means, by which you are saved. So what saves you? The gospel. You are saved by the gospel. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. Here's a colon, which means it's very important. Is there a colon in this version? I can't see. That means what's after the colon is the definition of what I was telling you I was going to tell you. All right? So this is the gospel colon. And the gospel is this. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Isn't it interesting that in the definition of gospel, it says, go to the scriptures, go to the scriptures twice. We don't know what we're living and believing because we are not going to the scriptures, right? The gospel is this. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. And he rose again on the third day. That is the gospel. Didn't that just make it so simple? Did that make it simple for you? You're like, oh, thank you. It's just so complex. Tithing, church attendance, serving, volunteering, feeding the hungry, helping the poor. Oh my gosh, there's so much to this Christianity. The gospel is simple. Didn't, I just, didn't we just read that in 2 Corinthians 11, 3-4? The simplicity that is in Christ? We, we will take a simple thing that Jesus tried to give us so simply, and we will confuse it so much. You know why we do it? We confuse the gospel so that we don't have to live by it. Because if we don't understand it, then we're not held accountable. The gospel was given to Paul. Let's talk about the word saved. Everybody say saved. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, being saved, it is the power of God. Everybody say being saved. That is a present tense being saved. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 3.15. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Everybody say, will be saved. That is future tense. You will be saved. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved, Everybody say, have been saved. That is known in English as past tense. Have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. There will be no boasting in heaven. There will be no one 
walking around the streets of heaven saying, I sure worked hard to get here. Right? There will be no one standing by the sea trying to gain attention. Did you see back in 2020 when there was a pandemic how I handled that and I just calmed everybody down? I was so great. No. There will be no boasting in heaven. Everyone in heaven will know intrinsically that they are only there because of the grace of God that they received on their life. It is by him, through him, and for him that we will be there. No boasting in heaven. So, so I have a question for us today so we can understand this concept of saved. Were you saved? Are you being saved? Or will you be saved? I'll say that question again. Are you being saved? No. Were you saved? Are you being saved? Or will you be saved? Everybody got your answer in your head? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. You see, the best way to describe this, we are a triune being. We are body, soul, and spirit. Okay? Uh, our bodies someday will be saved. The Bible tells us that we get a new body in heaven. And you can't believe what I'm going to look like when I get there. Our bodies will be saved in the final resurrection. Right now, newsflash, our bodies are decaying. Even, listen to this, even if God heals you, you're still dying. You ever thought about that? Ch changes things. When, even if we beg God for healing and he pulls that disease up out of there, you're still dying. Because every day our body is wasting away. Every one of us here is dying, but someday our bodies will be saved. Our souls our souls, our mind, our will, our emotions are currently being saved. They're currently being saved. Our souls are being renewed into the mind of Christ. James says this, uh, those who receive the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. To understand save, I guess we need to look at the, the Greek word. There's a word, you can write this down in your notes, S. O-Z-O, sozo. It looks like sozo, but the, it's pronounced S-O-D-E, sod, Z-O, zo, sozo. That Greek word saved means to be whole, to be perfect. So when our souls are being saved every single day, we surrender our mind, our will, our emotions to God. We are being transformed into the image of Christ more and more. You should look like Jesus. I should look more like Jesus today than I did yesterday. Why? Because my soul is currently under construction. I am being saved currently in the present tense. Our bodies will be saved. Our souls are being saved, but our spirits have been saved. 
If you have said yes to Jesus, if you have accepted the gospel, the, the free gift, which I'll talk about here in a moment, your spirit has been saved. If you receive the gospel in faith because Jesus paid the full price, it's already done. Jesus did it for us. So I have seven points. In the, next, in the remaining five minutes that I have, I have seven points for you. I, I can do this. The first point about salvation, write this down. It is a gift. Salvation is not a goal to achieve. It is a gift to receive. If you had a birthday, do anybody have a birthday today? 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 I knew, I knew you had a part. Oh, yeah, nephew, I knew that. Today, happy birthday Matthew, I thought it was just your party. Didn't realize today was the day. So if I showed up and you had a party today and I showed up and I brought Matthew a really nice, expensive gift, which ain't gonna happen. <laughs> but if I did and he opens it and he says, oh my gosh, wow, this is amazing. And I pull out the receipt and I said, I'll take cash or charge. That's not a gift. You ever had someone try to give you something with strings attached and then they hold you accountable because they did X, Y, Z for you and now you got to do A, B, C. If there are going to be strings, don't give me nothing. Salvation is a gift. There are no strings attached. You cannot pay for salvation. You couldn't do it before you got saved. You couldn't pay for salvation. And here's the thing that really trips Christians up. You can't pay for salvation after you get saved. Number two, the thing about salvation, it is eternal life. It is eternal life. Here is what we can earn. Romans 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You can't earn death. Many people are earning death every day. But the gift of God is eternal life. 1 John 2, 25 says, And this is the promise that he has promised us. Now question, can God lie? Three of you believe God cannot lie. I'll ask that question again. Can God lie? So he says in 1 John 2.25, this is the promise that he has promised us eternal life. When does eternal life start? It starts the day you die, right? The day that you die to self, not when this body dies. Eternal life starts the day that you die to self. When I was 20, I, I was raised in church. I remember, I can't even tell you what time when we started going to church. I don't remember if as a kid I said the, the quote unquote sinner's prayer or quote unquote ask Jesus into my heart kind of deal. I don't know. Um, but I know that I, I love Jesus. I preached when I was 16. I was in ministry, faithful to church. My parents I'll tell you one thing. I am where I am with Jesus today because my parents went to church Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Saturday nights for music only, and Wednesday nights. Now, you think that's a bit much. It might be, 
but I'm grateful for the legacy that they started in commitment and faithfulness, not to a building, but to a community and to a gathering and to what the Lord was, was doing. And so I, I, I don't remember the day when I was a kid, but I do remember when I was 20, when everything changed. I would call that probably my date of salvation, true salvation. I was 20 and I remember some things shifted. I gave forgiveness to someone who had hurt me and that had just, you know, for 20 years had, had kind of directed the course of my life. And I remember I was dating my wife or maybe we were newly, I guess we would have been married because I got married a week after I turned 20. And she made the comment of, Trey, it feels like you just got saved. And that really offended me, but it was actually true. When I was 20, my eternal life began. And for a long time now, me and Jesus have been living together in this old body, but someday he's going to come down. He's going to say, Trey, we've been living here for a while. Why don't you come up to my place? And this body is going to fall down to the ground. And, and some of you are going to come over and say, oh, poor Trey, he died, but you're late. I died when I was 20. I've already died. I have become a new creation. It is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I have been crucified with Christ. That's why there's a lot of people who think they're saved, but they're not saved, quite honestly, because they have never yet died to self. Number three, what is salvation? It is forgiveness. Forgiveness. I'm going to spit out three verses for you. Acts 13, 38. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. Jeremiah 31, 34, the end of the verse. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Psalm 103, 12 says, as far as the east from the west so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Salvation, when you are saved, you are forgiven for all of your sin, complete release from the penalty of sin. I, I imagine when I get to heaven and the angels stand up there and everybody's all excited and the angels look up at God and they say, hey, all right, just for old time's sake, just tell us like one, one of his little sins. Just want one, one of the minor ones. You know, did he, did Trey ever like cheat on a kindergarten test? Which I did, and I felt kindergarten, by the way, so probably cheated a lot. Just, come on, God, just one minor one. Nothing to make him look bad. Just tell me one minor little sin, and God will say, I don't recall any sin with Trey. And it's not that he can't recall, it's that he won't recall. Recall, he chooses to throw your sin as far from the east to the west. And he won't go and collect your sin for fun. And he certainly won't do it for judgment. It is forgiveness. Number five. No, four. Thank you. It is justification. justification. Romans 3:24 being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Galatians 
says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified, justified. This is one of my favorite points about salvation, justification. Oh my goodness. How cool is God? The root word of justified is just. God is a God of justice. It it is actually justice for God to sentence me to, listen to this, heaven. It is justice for God to sentence me to heaven. People get this so messed up all the time. They ask the question, how could a loving God send people to hell? He doesn't. We're already on our way to hell. This God of justice sends people to heaven. Jesus paid the price. And if I receive it, God has to let me go free. He is a God of justice. And and get this, because he is a just God, he can't punish two people for the same crime. There is no double jeopardy in the kingdom. Jesus already has been punished for my sin. He cannot punish me for my sin. It's already been atoned for. I'm justified. You are justified. That's what salvation does for us. Number five, it is righteousness. Romans 3.22 says, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Romans 4, 3, this is fun. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness is right standing with God. Being righteous is right behavior. Righteousness is right standing with God. We can be righteous and have righteousness in God's sight because Jesus did the right thing and he is in the right standing with God. Salvation brings us righteousness. Uh, Picture it this way. There are two accounts, two bank accounts. In my account, it's like a massive, massive account, tons and tons and tons of wealth, but it's sin. In Jesus' account, tons and tons, massive account, massive account, but it's righteousness. The Bible says that he gives the righteousness to me and takes, he depletes my account of sin and puts it on Jesus so that Jesus can conquer my sin. And in return, I freely get the righteousness of Christ. I'm in right standing. Wait, it gets better. When Jesus died on the cross, he took the sins of the entire world. Every human that has ever been born, every human that was alive, any human that would ever be born. Every sinner that is out there outside of these walls right now, Jesus has already paid for their sins. He's already paid for it. When they say yes to him, he's not going to the cross again. It's already been paid. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It's already been paid. Wait, that begs the question. If it's already been paid, why do people have to go to hell for their sins? 
People don't go to hell for their sins. The Bible doesn't say people go to hell for their sins. The sins don't send people to hell. It is belief that sends people to heaven. This is why we can't get too sin conscious because yeah, sin is some baggage we're gonna deal with. And especially next week, we're gonna talk about, but sin doesn't send you to heaven or hell. It is belief that gets you out of hell and into heaven. It is faith in the gospel. Your sin is no longer in your account. Even if your soul is still struggling with it, not yet forgiven that abortion, not yet forgiven that thing you got wrapped up into, not yet forgiven yourself for the pain that you created. Your soul isn't well, but the sin is no longer credited to your name. I have two more points. Could I try to get through them? Number six, salvation is redemption. Redemption. First Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 says, or do you not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And you are not your own for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's newsflash, you don't belong to you. Adam and Eve were given dominion. They lost it. They relinquished it. They gave it away, whatever. Then Jesus steps on the scene. He buys dominion back through his death and resurrection. He, he bought it back. Do you understand? You know how you, you go to a flea market? No one does that anymore. You go to Walmart and you look at the coat and, and based on the price, you decide if it's worth it or not. Jesus looked at the price to buy you back. And it said it would require his life. And he said, oh, they're worth that. They're worth it. I'll take it, I'll buy it. So he paid the price. He redeemed you. He bought you back. You don't belong to yourself. He's already purchased you. He's paid for it. It's a done deal if you've chosen to become his property. You ever had the Lord snatch you up by the neck sometime and say, don't go back to that place. You, you belong to me now. Don't go back. Don't. You know I love you, but come on. You're being really stupid right now. You belong to me. That is not how royalty acts. My seventh point and final point. It is total commitment. Salvation, when you are saved to the uttermost, when you are saved, it is total commitment. I almost, I'm a little concerned using that, that, that phrase. I'm not sure I'm bought into that phrase, but I'm going to get my point, the essence across so you understand me and you hear me today. There are a lot of people that want fire insurance, right? They go to church just because they don't want to go to hell. But Jesus isn't Lord of their life. And they, some of them, they even do churchy things. 
Some of them even, even tithe. Luke, Luke 6, 46 says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Anyone that wants to have a conversation about salvation and, and say, but behavior is completely separate, they, they don't understand what being fully saved actually looks like. Now, next week, I'm going to talk to you about the correlation. I'll, I'll tell you in a minute what I'll talk about next week. But, but we know that if you call him Lord, Lord, it modifies your behavior. Thank you, sir. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven Many will say to me in that day, listen, catch this church. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. The scary thing is, the Bible doesn't say just a few. There's gonna be a handful of church folk who get surprised. The Bible says there will be many. And where are these people? These aren't, the, these aren't the people burning down America we're talking about. We're, these are the people in the church house this morning. Never be impressed with someone because they have the gifts of the Spirit. Listen, I prophesy, don't let that impress you. My wife has this thing for healing knees. Don't let that impress you. I have a thing for healing warts. I know you ain't impressed with that. I'm serious. You got a wart, come to me. For some reason, they get healed. I don't know. I don't know why. The gifts of the Spirit, right? The, the showy things, the prophecy, words of knowledge, healing, miracles, signs, calling down fire, whatever. Man, it's really nice when, when you get to witness that and be a part of that, and I, and I love that. But let me just remind us all, the gifts of the Spirit have zero correlation to how close someone is with God. The Bible says the Antichrist will do miracles, signs, and wonders in the last days, and he can be further from Christ. The Bible says, people will say, I prophesied in your name. I cast out demons in your name. And the response will be, I don't even know them. I have never known you. Never, never. That means they never met God. Let that sink in. It doesn't mean they lost their salvation because they did something wrong. It means they never actually had a transformational salvation experience. I see people all the time, tons of gifts of the Spirit and very little fruit of it. The fruit of the Spirit, love, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. These are the things that, in, that are directly correlated to our relationship with Christ. Not the gifts anybody can prophesy. Anybody can heal. God releases it because he loves that person, not because you're so good. All right. So how can I be saved? We all want to know. Many of us are probably going to get saved a second time today or 10th time today. How do you know if you're saved? It's simple. Ask yourself the question, who's the boss? 
Do I show up to the table even when I don't feel like it? Do I show up to serve even when I don't feel like it? Do I show up to love someone even when they stink? Do I hand out food even when I don't know if I got enough food in my own pantry? Who's the boss of you? If you often find yourself doing stuff that you wouldn't authorize in a good way, you're probably saved. Next week, I'm gonna share my, some myths of salvation and what causes those who think they're saved to not be saved because we're gonna avoid that trap in this church. We're also gonna look at the concept of sin and good works and how does all of that play into the life of a believer. I'm gonna help you understand faith, salvation, works are not mutually exclusive. They're all integrated in a pretty simple way once we just lay it out. And I'm gonna share that to you next week. But for today, if you're not sure if you've said yes to Jesus, you're just ready to come home. You're like, well... I want to put my faith in, in the real thing. I'm not going to ask you to close your eyes. The Bible says if you're ashamed of him before men, he'll be ashamed of you before the Father. We're not going to play the, the fun little game. I mean, not to put you on the spot, but I know a lot of us in the room might be just needing to settle some things and need to make a public declaration of our faith this morning. So if, if, you're, if you're here and you're saying, you know, I just really want to, I want to seal this thing. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I want him to save me to the uttermost. And I just declare that my faith is in the fact that God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for my sin. He was buried and on the third day he rose again. If that's you and you're in the room and you're ready to say yes, please stand to your feet. you're at home and watching, please do something as an activation of faith. Partner with what's going on in your spirit. Let that align physically and stand to your feet. Raise your hand if you're in Starbucks. Shout something. Good. Good. Anyone else? There is no shame. No one in this room. No one in this room is going to say, well, I thought you were already saved. Everyone in this room is going to say, better to be safe than sorry. Welcome to the family again. Now your spirit just aligns with who we already knew you to be. You're an awesome person. We love you. Your family, this is exciting. We want to celebrate with you. If you're here and you're ready to say yes to Jesus, stand to your feet. We got three. Do we have any more? Church, will you just repeat after me? Father, I was a sinner. Sinner. But today I put my faith in you. But today I put my faith in you. I believe. I believe. That God sent his son. That God sent his son. To die on a cross for me. To die on the cross for me. I believe. I believe. That he was buried. That he was buried. And I believe. And I believe. That on the third day he rose again. That on the third day he rose again. From this moment. From this moment. My life will never be the same. My life will never be the same. From this moment. From this moment. I say yes to the process. I say yes to the process. 
process of being conformed to your image of being conformed to your image of being drawn by you of being drawn by you in Jesus name I pray in Jesus name I pray amen 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 will you give the Lord a hand clap if you just said Yes, either in the room or online. Will you please text NEXT, N-E-X-T, to 512-980-1220. We have some videos we'd love for you to take. It's just teaching you how to read the Bible, explains what our salvation looks like, and takes you further. In fact, anyone in the room, you want to have more studies during the week? I know you're so busy during quarantine, but if you need more stuff to do, text NEXT to 512-980-1220. Please stand with us as we go out with worship today.